On today's episode, our all-Asian panel reviews Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2 and discusses inspiration versus appropriation, which is a topic plucked from the themes of the movie. What up, what up, listeners? Welcome to You Better Represent podcast. Each week we explore representation in cinema by reviewing a minority-led film with members of that underrepresented community and debate a cultural topic plucked from the movie's themes. Joining me for today's show is Toronto comedian and writer Leonard Chan. Hello! Um, Thank you so much for being on the show, Leonard. We are reviewing this week Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 because last week or two weeks ago we reviewed um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I was so annoyed at Quentin Tarantino's portrayal (laughs) of Bruce Lee that it's made me second guess um, his entire filmography and it makes me look at him completely different. Um, So uh, that sounds a little bit dramatic um, for listeners but you'll you'll soon see why um, my opinions have changed on Quentin Tarantino, given new evidence. But um, now let, let's let's first focus on the movie itself. Um, Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 um, is about a former assassin who, after awakening from a four-year coma, wreaks vengeance on the team of assassins who betrayed her. It was written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, although Uma Thurman does have a character creation credit for the character of the bride. So she doesn't get a writing credit, but she gets a character creation credit. Um, It was produced by Lawrence Bender, um, I believe a straight white guy. Um, And since obviously this podcast, we talk about uh, representation. I mean, in case you're wondering why I'm mentioning people's race and sexual orientation. Um, It is uh, starring Uma Thurman as the bride slash Beatrix Kiddo. uh, Lucy Liu as Oren Ishii. Vivica A. Fox as Vernita Green, Daryl Hannah as L. Driver, and Michael Madsen as Bud, and of course, um, the bane of all Asians, um, David Carradine as Bill. Um, now, just <laughs> focusing on the, on the, <laughs> the bane of all Asians, <laughs> we'll uh, that it'll we'll get into uh, David Carradine and uh, why uh, why. Some some <laughs> Asians do not appreciate his filmography and history of playing Asian characters. Um, now uh, let's let's go to uh, yeah. to Leonard for your overall thoughts on Kill Bill. Does Kill Bill bring honor to us all, or does it bring shame to our ancestors? Um, you know what I thought. You know, I think that. Uh, it represented a bunch of different Asian cultures, right? It really, uh, you know, like Kill Bill 1, like, you know, with the, the Hato Hanzori, uh, was it, wait, was it? Hattori Hanzo? Hattori Hanzo. Hanzo. You know, like with them making the sword and the sushi and all that stuff, like there was that. And then there was, um, you know, in the sequel, they really like played it up with sort of like the schlocky, like B-movie kung fu, like finger yeah. of death, like that sort of thing. Um you know, and because Quentin Tarantino, like, he has, like, a deep encyclopedic knowledge, right? Of, like, yeah. all genres of movies and stuff. And he basically just mishmashes all that stuff. <laughs> he makes, like, movie collages. That's really what he does, right? Um, you know, like, yeah. I, 
I mean, they, he spoke fluent Cantonese, and that was accurate. Uh, <laughs> so that was good. Um, and it did kind of remind me of, like, the old uh, Kung Fu movies that I used to watch when I was a kid. And, I, and so it really, it actually did, like, if it was an homage to that, then yeah. it was well done, right? Because it actually did capture mm-hmm. that feeling. Um, so I had no problems with it. <laughs> it's okay. You're all, you're allowed to like it. I'll I'll put it out here. I actually I really like this movie. Um, okay. <laughs> listen, I was like, <laughs> listen, my my issues with Kill Bill are more retrospective and about representation and other things. But on the movie itself, I do have a few problems with the movie. But and I, yeah. and I actually, even though they're two movies, I count them as one. And, yeah. you know, for, first I'll be positive. I yeah. really enjoyed the fight sequences. Um, I thought the action was great. I thought, you know, obviously it's, it's a revenge flick. Um, so the motivations are very clear. You know yes. what each character wants right Pretty off much, the yeah. top. Um, and, you know, I thought they even did a good job fleshing out some of the quote-unquote villains. Like, oh, Ren Ishii, I thought was a pretty mm-hmm. well-developed character. Bill, uh-huh. maybe not so much. But you know what? It, at least they gave one of the villains somewhat of a, a backstory. And, you know, honestly, at the end of the day, it's not Bill's movie. So I kind of see why they didn't go too deep. Like, um, yeah. And, you know, the main thing with these revenge flicks is do I empathize with the lead character and do I cheer her on? Um, and yeah, I absolutely do. I thought Uma Thurman was amazing. I thought the character that she created along with. Um, along with Quentin Tarantino, is a very compelling character. Um, I would say my biggest issue with the movie is I feel like it was wasted potential in that, to me, so for me, this could have been one of my favorite movies of all time, and instead it just ended up being like one pretty good movie and one kind of okay movie. Which is your fa- just just for reference, so we understand where we're at here. What's your favorite movie all t- of all time? My sassy girl. No, uh, <laughs> it's 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 strange. I have three that are kind of tied. Although yeah. you know, one of them, looking back now, um, also you know, there's historical issues. But one of them being <laughs> uh, one of them being Braveheart, which is tough to say after the whole Mel Gibson stuff. But when it came out, it didn't have all the controversy. Um, yeah, but it was also like one of the most historically inaccurate movies ever made. So, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Like it was kind of renowned for its homophobia. So that's, yeah. um, you know. Uh, well, that part's probably historically accurate. Um, I mean, well, yeah, that's probably, but <laughs> um, so the the other two are. I, I always say my three. Fa- actually, my four favorite is um, Braveheart. Um, While you were sleeping, which is a romantic comedy with Sandra Bullock. No, I know with Sandra Bullock and Bill Pullman. Yeah, I'm a, aware. <laughs> a very odd choice. And Peter Gallagher as the comatose. Uh, yeah, and then, I know too much about that. And then Beauty and the Beast, the the Disney okay. cartoon. And yeah, yeah. um and Scream, which I think is one of the best screenplays like ever written. Um, okay. So th- those are my four. This could have joined it as the fifth if he kept his original vision and made it as one movie. I feel like. Right. I feel like you know, and listen, stuff. I, w- I will yeah. say some of these things I'm guessing at, but as a storyteller. And as, you know, a somewhat writer, my instinct is, like, 
the way he reordered things to split it into two movies broke the movie. So it makes the first one pretty watchable. But then yeah. elements of the second one, they're just boring because, like, okay, so here's my theory, and I might be totally wrong, but I got this feeling when I saw both emergently, which is the narrative frame of the movie is the Oren Ishii takedown, and I felt like that was supposed to be interspersed throughout the whole movie. And even after Bill is killed, I feel like that's when you go into um, – the the uh, the uh, snowy battle with Oren Ishii and that sort of like the epilogue or whatever. Like to me, I feel like this movie. I, I feel like he he took his narrative frame, condensed it into the first movie, and then made the it killed the pacing of the second half of the movie because I feel like. I feel like that fight was supposed to be interspersed throughout the whole way. And it also killed the ending because the ending was so anticlimactic because you get this emotional ending, but then I feel like the end of the Oren Ishii fight would have went after that. And all this stuff about like the Hattori Hanzo sword and stuff, they talk about it so much in volume two. And like that would have built up to the final battle to where she sliced Oren Ishii's head off. It, it, It just feels like his reordering of it took what could have become one of my favorite movies of all time. I, what I'm saying is they need a fan re-edit. I might even do a fan <laughs> re-edit of what this movie should have been. And I just feel like he sold out, Quentin Tarantino sold out what could have been his magnum opus, best movie of all time. Okay, maybe he will always say Pulp Fiction. But this could have been up there with the best of all time. And he, I don't know, because he didn't want to cut enough runtime to make it one movie or whatever. Like, it, I, yeah. I didn't know what was going well, on, but, and I could be totally wrong about the narrative frame, but for me, it just feels wrong. It feels like there's a great movie in there, just the yeah. pacing and the revelations, even like how in volume one, where she like plucks out the guy's eye, but then like they make that a huge thing in volume two. I feel like, the order is wrong. I feel like yeah. that shouldn't have happened <clears throat> until she like already, you know what I mean? Anyway. Yeah. Well, the like the first movie is basically the first act, right? It's just all set up. The, the first movie is just all set up. And then like the second movie is kind of like the second and third act, but like a little bit condensed. Yeah. Right. So then, um, I mean, I see what you're saying. Like, I really liked the first movie, but like it didn't have, uh, the same narrative structure as it could have if it told the entire story because obviously it was cut into like a third. Uh, yeah. <laughs> cut into thirds, but then like the last two acts were like appended and then you ended up with like, yeah. So um, I feel like I like the first movie better mm-hmm. despite that um, just because it was just... Well, here's the thing. And you know, and it's funny because like this is the thing that Quentin Tarantino is often known for uh, is just long speeches and just the characters just talking, talking, mm-hmm. talking, talking, talking. But that happened a lot in the second movie, yeah. which I just rewatched today because I ha- I've watched the first movie a bunch and it just kind of goes by so fast and so easy that I'm like, whatever. But uh, but yeah, like the, the second uh, movie is just a lot, a lot of talking. Uh, and the fun yeah. thing, though, is like with <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, like he has these like he has characters that he clearly loves. Right. Yeah. And so when he lets them kind of talk, 
I mean, generally, like, when, when you have characters, like, talking that much, they're kind of, like, revealing things about themselves. But that's actually not the case with, like, Quentin Tarantino films. Like, they're, in this movie, at least, oh. like, they're very cagey. Like, they're always, there's always, like, a game within a game. There's always something going on, which makes it really fun. Like, the, the scenes have, like, the appropriate amount of tension to, like, drive narrative and stuff like that. But, like, yeah. Um, the first movie is definitely more enjoyable for me. Um... Yeah. But I did, I mean, I did like the, the, the second movie, especially like, you know, like they put her into a situation where you're like, well, how is she going to get out of this one? Which is what you're supposed to do with like all your characters, right? Is like really yeah. uh, punish them. And like when they bury her in a, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in, a, like in a coffin, it's like, how is she going to get out of this one? And yeah, yeah, they managed it. I'll be perfectly honest. I saw, so I was huge on this movie. I saw it in the theater. Um, I was so awaiting volume two. Um, yeah. And then I, I actually fell asleep in the theater in volume two because it was just so <laughs> slow. And I feel like I feel like where I say there's one masterpiece in there is I feel like halfway through the first movie. Yeah. Like it became just too much of a standardized like, you know, Terminator kill bot with no emotions. Um so, whereas I feel like the first half of the first movie was building up the character a little bit, and then you would have had more character progression with, you know, the stuff in volume two, and then you get to the final fight, which ends up being the first fight, and then it just, it just makes, it just makes that final showdown with Oren Ishii just, you know, bigger and better. Like I said, I might be wrong, but... I totally feel like that was the narrative frame. It it yeah. definitely was going to come after she killed Bill because the the way mm. it ended with Bill dying just made no sense as an ending. Um, yeah, but the, but the hold on though. Yeah, the the movie has to end like the entire series like the both like the the it's not a trilogy. The duology, whatever. It, the the two movies have to end with the, Bill has to be the last one that dies. It's the name of this the movie is Kill Bill. Like after you kill Bill, like if if Oranishi is the last one to die, then it's like Kill Oranishi. That's the name of the movie. No, but like you know that Bill is the last to die. But yeah, but then he has to be the last one to die. No, I feel like you wrap up the emotional stuff, but then you still end with the epic. I honestly, like literally, when I first saw it, I was like, this was supposed to be the end. This, I don't know. Like, I, I don't agree with that. <laughs> you know, like, like I said, this is all conjecture. I just, I just feel in in my bones just the way it was. It felt like all those, like, even the way that that fight is structured feels yeah. like in the House of Blues or whatever feels like it's meant to be chopped up into like five or six different fights. And like, yeah. I feel like the slowness of Volume Two would have been like interspersed and like you're really building the crescendo to like even even though you know that she died first and you know i just feel like visually anyway for me you know and listen my favorite maybe this this will help people out my favorite novel of all time is mary shelley's frankenstein and the brilliance there to me was the narrative frame how they how they switched um how they switched uh, 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 um, um, points of view um, starting, I, I forget, I haven't read it in like over a decade, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it's sort of like it goes, it, it like switches and then goes down. So like say if there's three characters or whatever, I, I think it starts with a doctor or whatever, then it ends with a point of view 
or in the middle of the point of view of the um, of Frankenstein's monster, and then it sort of goes backward until the final person is the doctor again, or it might be the monster. I might be getting them reversed, but anyway, the idea is like it switches POVs and then like reverse switches it back to the beginning, and yeah. I just loved. I'm I'm so huge on narrative frames and like just the way you sort of go in and out and especially with Kill Bill where it's like non-linear storytelling. I just really saw that fight as a way to frame everything and he like just goes in and out. Like I said, this is not usually for review. It's just what I think and not like me taking wild guesses of the original creator's intentions. But this one, I just felt so strongly leaving the theater and watching it again. I was just like, he just reordered this in such a mess. And okay, maybe, maybe kill Bill is, is at the end and they have this right before she kills Bill or something. But anyway, it definitely comes after she kills like all the other assassins because all the talk about the sword and building up of the sword definitely happened before they showed that final snowy scene with Oren Ishii because when I saw the first movie, I was like, oh, I don't understand this whole sword. Um, And then after I saw the second one, I was like, oh, because she has to go through the training montage and stuff to become tough enough to beat Oren Ishii, who is really the hardest one to kill out of everybody. Um, and okay, fine, maybe they put that fight right before she kills Bill. I think they put it after. But I do think he took his masterpiece and he chopped it up into little bits or into two bits, and I will never forgive him. Um, <laughs> you know, which may be harsh. It's just, I just, for those who are heating on me, cause y'all love Tarantino. I'm only saying this because I feel like this could have been one of my favorite movies of all time. And I already still like it. So it's not that I don't like it. I just wish he had gone with his original vision, whatever that was, instead of, you know, you know, when, when, when they split it into two, it's not like they planned to split into two. It was planned to be one movie. And then they sort of made it out like, oh, it was Tarantino's idea to split into two because he didn't want to, like, you know, cut out scenes or whatever. Um, which might be true, but, like, there was definitely some corporate pressure to split into two. Like, I just feel like I wanted the original version of this movie, not this weird reordered shit that made... A whole bunch of scenes not make any sense. At least to me, I was like, some of this stuff don't make no sense, people, in the order that it's in. Um, I'm just, I'm actually just Googled, uh, because apparently a lot of people are like, it's supposed to be one movie. And he's like, yeah, so Quentin Tarantino ends the Kill Bill debate once and for all. It's not two movies. The Kill Bill two movie truthers are wrong, Tarantino says. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, during a recent appearance on the Cinema Blend podcast, Tarantino was asked to settle the debate once and for all. He says, technically, we released it as two movies, and there was a closing and an opening credits on each movie, but I made it as one movie, and I wrote it as one movie, so it's one movie. Yes. It only became two movies in post-production. Now, it works really good that way, Tarantino admitted. It does not. Although, you disagree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, frankly, the truth of the matter is, I don't think it would have been as popular as a four-hour movie. <laughs> Which, Fair. I literally had a guy say that to me. It was one of those weird diamond bullet moments where you can't unhear it. He said, Quentin, here's the thing. My uncle would love this movie, but he wouldn't love it at four hours. I would have loved it at four hours, Quentin. I would have loved it. I want the four hour cut. 
So literally, all, all you have to do if you want to watch the four-hour movie is just cut out the end credits of Kill Bill 1 and just append it to Bill Kill Bill 2. And that's it. You're done. No, no, no. There's no <laughs> way that he didn't reorder shit. To, to, he wanted that big finale at the end of part one. Even if, honestly, I feel like if... What I would have believed is if he kept it originally and then, like... Um, if the original ending was like her being buried alive or something, I could see that because you don't have to reorder shit for that because you know you know something is meant to come after it. But yeah. that the finale of the first movie is clearly the finale of the whole movie. There's no way anybody can even even Quentin Tarantino himself cannot convince me. I need there must be an original script. I need to find an original script somewhere online. I know bitches be leaking shit. I need to find this because I, I like how you're like know. Quentin Tarantino wouldn't be able to convince you. You're like you're like questioning like oh you you know the, the platypus was clearly not meant to be like this. God. No no. Oh the death of Oren Ishii. Like is it the emotional resonances with Bill? Because, like, I, I've seen, like, a lot of these types of movies, and sometimes they do do this, where they do wrap up the emotional part, but then they just sort of give, like, an epilogue kind of fight. Mm-hmm. Just, like, this beautiful cinematography epilogue kind of fight kind of thing going on. And it's just, oh. Uh. Anyway, okay, enough about my feelings about this movie. <laughs> now going into, um, uh, you know... You know, let, let's go. Let's go over. Um, what What are your thoughts on um, on on the writing? I mean, it's good. It's Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> I mean, the guy. You know, he's Oscars for this shit. He's good. <laughs> you know, like I said before, like his um, like the dialogue is uh, is is one of his strong suits, obviously, mm-hmm. because everybody talks about it. Uh, in this particular case, like the dialogue, very long and drawn out, and the characters. Um, you know, like the dialogue themselves are like action scenes, you know? Yeah. Just through words. It's great. It's good. Very well written. Well, stru- I mean, of course, like structure, he's very good at structure and all that stuff. Like he just, his his knowledge of like storytelling is so vast uh, yeah. and he can take like bits from like everywhere. And yeah, it's very good. Yeah, I feel like the writing was really good and tight in volume one. And... Mm-hmm. Volume two, I I think like overall, if you combine them both, it's like what four and a half hours maybe. It, it's it's definitely not just four hours. So I feel like the original four hour version would have been tighter, but because he had to fill out, I think especially the second movie feels like there's a lot of filler. Um, I feel like there's like a half hour um, that could have been cut out mainly from the second movie, but then at that point, it's not long enough maybe. But like. The whole thing where she's talking to that pimp, yeah, that could have been gone out, out completely. Sure, you, that has no bearing on the movie whatsoever. You, you could, you could just sort of imagine how she found Bill the way that she found everybody else, where there's no explanation. Um, yeah, and then yeah, like you know, there wasn't really any explanation of how she found Vivica A. Fox or how she found you know. Uh, Bill's brother, anybody really. Um, so I feel like having an explanation of her tracking down, I was like, that would have been cut in the four hour version for sure. I think now this is more controversial, but that Superman speech, are you effing kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's, that's Superman. The, the, the way the one after uh, David Carradine shoots her with the dart. 
Yeah. Oh my God, people. That Superman speech needs no, 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 <laughs> no, no. This is what I'm saying about pacing. The original version would have had better pacing and more the way scenes tied together would have built on each other till it hit a crescendo. Boom, my favorite movie of all time. And instead, there's pacing issues. There's just, oh, oh my God. Just things as a puzzle piece just don't totally make sense. And that, and then that Superman speech on top of it. By that point in the theater, when I had rewoken up, because I, I was getting annoyed <laughs> wait, at that Wait, point. wait, wait, wait. What did, so what did you, hold on, what did you miss? When What did you sleep through? Oh, well, it, it's been like two decades now. I saw it in its original release. I think, I feel like when, I think when she first got buried, I, I, I fell asleep and then I woke up, you know. Let's see, this seems an important part. <laughs> she gets buried underground in a coffin. You're like, yeah, you know what? This She seems like she's down for a dirt nap. It's my turn to take a nap. Like, what? <laughs> I don't know why the second movie was just so bloated. I just, I just. So was David Carradine at the end. Oh. Okay, speaking <laughs> of David Carradine, now let's, 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 let's get on him on um so the the reason why i view this movie differently is of course you know we're reviewing this movie because we reviewed once upon a time in hollywood um for our last asian themed episode and tarantino is just so disrespectful to the memory of bruce lee that it's hard to see kill bill as it originally was as like an homage to bruce lee you know you've got you know the, the Bruce Lee the, the, yellow jumper, yeah, yeah. you've got the Cato mask, you've got, yeah. you know, uh, you know there, there's a whole bunch of things. But I was like, how, how can you be like, you know, it's hard for me to look back and be like, this is an homage when like in the future, he just shits all over Bruce Lee in another movie. I'm just like... Ah, and then so then then it, it it makes me take a deeper look, and I was like, actually, you know what? Is it really an homage? Because you would not put David Carradine in a fucking homage to Bruce Lee. That is like a slap in the face to all Asians. So for those who don't know, so David Carradine <laughs> made his career or a big part of his career pretending to be fucking Asian because he looked more Asian than other white people. Now I do know in. Kung Fu. Wait, 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 wait. He was supposed to be Asian in Kung Fu? Yeah, half Asian. Oh, like shit. He was half American. But anyway, they, they, there's other movies where he played Asian people as well. So, you know what, David Carradine? Uh, also, originally the character... Well, let's, let's not speak ill of the dead, first of all, before you get carried away. <laughs> oh, let's speak ill of the dead. Okay, he died in Thailand of... Autoerotic asphyxiation, yes. Yeah, so he got what he deserved for <laughs> for what he has done to Bruce Lee. I know, honestly, this is going to be one of those podcast episodes that people just so people wow. know when when I when I when I become the next Jeopardy host, and then somebody looks back on my old podcast <laughs> and cancels me. Just so you know, yeah. I am a comedian who's trying to be provocative, so just calm the f down. I don't actually mean that he got what he deserved. <laughs> Although, I'll take canceled for four hundred dollars, <laughs> oh. Mike Richards. Oh, sorry, Mayim Bialik. I guess now. Although I will say, you know, there's worse ways to die for somebody who I hate than uh, you know auto asphyxiation. Yeah, sex I mean, you know, he, I, uh, his his ending was a happy ending. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there are worse ways to die. <laughs> but so the 
the character of Kung Fu originally was supposed to be 100% Asian. It was actually developed by Bruce Lee um, in cooperation with Hollywood to be played by Bruce Lee. And then they fired Bruce Lee last minute, even though he developed the goddamn Kung Fu series um, because he was, quote unquote, too Asian and people wouldn't understand his accent. So then <laughs> so then they replace his ass with David Carradine, who then pretends to be Asian. And then they write in, oh, but he's like half American so that it doesn't look super shady. So, okay, <laughs> no. Quentin Tarantino, you do not get any, like, I'm going to pull an homage to Bruce Lee and then hire David fucking Carradine. That's a slap to, in the face. To be fair, <laughs> he wanted Warren Beatty. Uh, That's who was originally supposed to play Bill, and then he ended up with David Carradine. So it wasn't his first choice. Well, still, it, it, shouldn't, <laughs> it shouldn't have been his 10th choice. Although Warren, Warren Beatty would have been a little bit better. But I think, you know why? Now the counterpoint to my original theory might be I just hate the second film because they got rid of the only Asian lead, uh, the Asian character, Lucy Liu. Obviously, right. they, have, they have other Asians. And maybe I just couldn't watch the second film because Lucy Liu had been killed. Um, yeah. And Lucy Liu is amazing, right? Like she's, she's uh, you know... <laughs> Yeah. A treasure. I will say the other thing is that, you know, they did have like an anime sequence that fleshed out Lucy yes. Liu's character. And it was done by a Japanese animation studio, which is great. Um, and so, you know, I don't know. It's so weird. I know people listening to this are probably so confused because I actually do really like the movie. <laughs> and I could have loved it. And... I do think Tarantino's brilliant, but now I'm also like super mad at him. Also, all the revelations with Uma Thurman um, coming out and basically saying she never worked with Tarantino again after this movie because oh. he like was abusive and she still has injuries. Oh. So um, she he sort of forced her to drive a car that she thought was like a death trap. Um and he, like, screamed at her, basically, you know, convinced her. And then she crashed it. And Ugh. even to this day, she has, like, injuries she's recovering from for it. And she won't work with him again because she said, you tried to kill me, bitch. You effing tried to kill me. Um, yeah. And so there's that whole thing. Um, so there's just all this drama. Actually, you know what would be a good topic in, in the future is, like, how... How how movies are viewed like change over time. Um, yeah, yeah. The, After you find out the director tried to murder the actress, or like any Kevin Spacey <laughs> movie. Yeah, uh. yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, well, I, I'll definitely like if we watch like if we watch like American Beauty now, right? It's like okay. Uh, I mean, so inaccurate because yeah. you know Savari is a girl, and that's what it wasn't. That's <laughs> not what he was into. But yeah, but mostly correct. Or like uh. every every time I go to Subway and have to think about Jared, like it just. Things stick in your head now. He liked to eat fresh. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. I still like this movie. Obviously, it's lost some of its Bruce Lee homage cred. And then it lost its like feminist cred because of like um, Uma Thurman's characterization of, um, of uh, Quentin Tarantino. Um, Oh, also she said, like, he would, like, jump in um, on scenes where she's being choked 
and like take over the choking and spitting, um, which he has done in several movies. He just wow. he doesn't act in the movies, but if there's like a scene where he can choke a bitch, he's like, you know, you know, move, move over, Michael Madsen. I've 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 got the scene. It'll be my hand yeah. choking. You know um, who could have used uh, a, a, an exter- like a third party choker? <laughs> <laughs> David Carradine would still be with us. <laughs> <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. Oh, David Carradine <laughs> wanted um, to uh, volunteer for that job <laughs> and, instead of the belt or whatever it was that he used. <laughs> um. So obviously, clearly, I'm very passionate about this whole situation. I'm probably being blinded. I know I've barely let Leonard talk. I'm, I apologize. Oh, I know I've like I've, okay. I've cut you off. Um, I don't need to talk. Honestly, I've I've talked enough for a lifetime. <laughs> just you can take over from here on out. But this movie, it just, I don't know. I'm so conflicted on the movie, on Quentin Tarantino. I feel like maybe in another 10 years, we have to do like a re-re-review where I can calm down because I'm still mad about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's, you know what? Let's uh, let's wrap up the review at this point and we'll, uh, we'll come back because there's still a lot to debate um, in our second segment after this very short break. Our second segment, we uh, debate a topic plucked from the themes of the movie. And this week's topic is inspiration versus appropriation. And as you can tell from the review so far, um, I'm going to have some very deep feelings on inspiration versus appropriation. Um, in the next segment, we will be right back. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus what up, what up, listeners? Welcome back to the You Better Represent podcast. We are now in our second segment where we where we debate a cultural topic plucked from the themes of this week's movie review. And this week we reviewed Kill Bill. And the topic we're taking out is inspiration versus appropriation. And before we jump in, I will do the... Um, Official definition, official being from Wikipedia, um, of cultural <laughs> appropriation is uh, unacknowledged or inappropriate adoption of customs, practices, and ideas um, from one culture to the other. And it is generally seen as more of an issue when a dominant culture appropriates from minority cultures. And the big words I, I take from here is unacknowledged adoption. Um, or mm-hmm. inappropriate, and the dominant culture thing. Um, now, uh, Leonard, what are your overall thoughts on inspiration versus appropriation 
in cinema or basically in anything else in life? Um, I think I think it always comes down to uh, the intent uh, and the care with which somebody uh, utilizes a culture that is not their own. Because, like, the thing is this. The, the reason why it's problematic, right, is because oftentimes, like, you know, the dominant culture just, like, just takes one of usually white people and they just kind of take <laughs> everything from, like, oppressed and marginalized groups, like... And then what the problem is that they, they often separate that thing from the original meaning, right? And then they just use it because they're like, I like, a, I, I'm going to go wear an Indian headdress or something, right? To a Halloween party. But they don't understand that like the Indian headdress is, it's like an honor to be able to wear, like within like uh, Native American culture, like it's not something anybody just gets to wear. Like you have to like earn that, right? So then when they're like, this is my hat, it's like, okay, that's not, that's not right because now you You've, you've taken them for your own benefit without attribution or context or any respect. Uh, and then, and then it's, it's theft and it's erasure. Actually, that's what it is. Because like, if you're doing that, then you're like taking that thing and then you're, you're stripping the meaning from it. And uh, by doing so, uh, because you're the dominant culture, then people will just start to see it as like this thing that has lost uh, the cultural significance that it has in the culture that they took it from. And that's how, uh, you know, these other cultures just get erased, right? And that's the problem. Yeah. Uh, and then white people do that. Like, they, they kind of look at other cultures as like a freaking buffet. It's like, <laughs> it's either like the Mandarin. They're like, I'm going to take a little bit of this. I'm going to take a little, I'm going to take some, uh, I'm going to take some rap. And so now we got Marky Mark with uh, good vibrations. And now we're going to take, <laughs> we're going to take jazz. Uh, yep, Ryan Gosling's going to save that. Uh, we're going to take... <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? If we're going to take uh, Kung Fu and David Carradine, that's... Uh... <laughs> oh, Lord. Right? So, yeah. So that's kind of like... Um... So I think what it comes down to is like, especially... I hope and I think that like because, you know, with the way culture is today and like the, the increased sensitivity, which obviously has some downsides too, but like for the most part, uh, you know, it's coming from like a, a relatively... It's coming from like a good, I mean, good, it's all morally relative, but like it's coming from a place <laughs> uh, that I think like people are more cognizant of this and people are thinking, like artists artists now are oh. thinking about it a little bit more. If, if only because there's the fear that you're <laughs> going to be called out for it and you don't want to be labeled as like culturally insensitive. Uh, yeah, I would so. say like the most current um, example of this that's trending right now is in is on TikTok where there's a lot of like black creators who have created these very popular dances and mm. then white creators will redo the dances, basically just mimicking the original and they go viral, make thousands of dollars, if not, you know, tens of thousands of dollars and never credit the original creator of the dance. Um, and this just happens over and over and over. Um, and I, I do think I agree with what you're saying, Leonard. Like it is more about like you know, about the 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 erasure part. The um, you know if I go back to the original um, the original well the the Wikipedia definition, it's the unacknowledged adoption um, that really upsets me. Um, because otherwise I feel like as an artist, I'm kind of on the other side as well of inspiration. Like I want people to be inspired. I feel like art does get inspired by other art, including from other cultures 
And I feel like as long as you're adding to it and remixing it and like contributing um, in some way, um, I have no problem with that. Um, like here's the here's a random example, but like listen, I'm an Asian and I love pasta. Guess what? Pasta was quote unquote inspired, or you could say appropriated from Asian noodles. But they Marco cr- Polo, baby. Yeah. Also pizza, apparently. Yeah. Because I think I heard that Marco Polo ate like those uh, green onion pancakes and he mm. brought that knowledge back to Italy and he was like, somebody make something. And then they did a, the whole thing. Um, I have a joke where I'm just like, yeah, like <laughs> China, you know, this has always been the relationship between China and Italy, right? Like China invented pasta and then Italy took it and they took it to a whole other level, <laughs> just like coronavirus. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think I do. I do. I don't want. I feel like everything's so sensitive right now that people are like afraid to um, to be inspired by other cultures because they might be, you know, accused of appropriation. Um, but it's like I don't know. I, I do want cultures to share, and sometimes you end up with something better like well not better actually i i like asian noodles better than pasta but you can come up with something else that's also really good in its own right and i I don't want that to be lost i just feel i don't know you know let's bring this back to to cinema and one one thing i was thinking of of like you know is kill bill inspiration or appropriation and at first, to me, it was like inspiration because he's paying homage. He's clearly showing, you know, throwing to, you know, Bruce Lee stuff. He's showing his inspiration. He's acknowledging where it's com- coming from. Where I got to think where it's more appropriation is like, obviously, now that I see that he actually d- does even have reverence for uh, for um, Bruce Lee after what he did to him in, in, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Also, he threw him into a car. What did he do? He just threw him into a car. You know, uh, you know. <laughs> I, I, I think the, the other thing, too, with Quentin Tarantino is like, you know, I was looking over his filmography and, you know, as as, um, as Leonard mentioned in the review, you know, he is a cinephile. He historically knows so much about films and, you know, a lot of his films are, you know, you know, are, are you know, sometimes bringing back old genres, obviously Pulp Fiction, Um but another thing he did was, you know, Jackie Brown, which was, uh, you know, a quote unquote modernized version or his take of a of of a black exploitation film. And I was thinking, would he dare make his version of a black exploitation film starring a white girl? I was like, I don't think so. I don't think he would make Jackie Brown with a fucking white girl, but he would remake a Bruce Lee film with a white blonde girl. So I'm kind of like, you know what? Maybe, maybe I need to rethink this filmography of his, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, That's funny because I, yeah, I I, I mean, there needs to be more fear of Asian reprisal. (laughs) (laughs) We need to be uh, a little bit more angry about things. I think a little bit louder. We're all upset because yeah, you know, that, that's, I think that's probably why he didn't do it. He's like, well, I'm gonna get killed for this one, but nah, the Asians are pretty quiet. <laughs> I can get away with this. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't know. I don't know. It's like it's tricky for me because I do want 
you know, I feel like when you put out a piece of art into the world, people can iterate, they can get inspired, they can do whatever they want because it's out there, Um, you know, but I, I don't know, like, there there is a line like obviously kung fu starring david carradine was a line for me because you literally threw away one of the people developing it and took away the asian star and replaced him with a white person um and you know i don't know it is hard for me to go back and watch kill bills and then having watched jackie brown and just being like you know, I feel like this this might kind of be disrespectful that he he feels like he can replace the Asians with a white person, but with the black exploitation, he uh, he had more respect for it. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, part of it, I think, like with with black exploitation, it's so specifically about you. I you can't do it with a white person, like the story. You just can't. And not just because of like cultural, not because you know, like obviously you get into a lot of trouble for it, but you just you just can't. Like the the, the nature of the film is such that you just cannot do it with a white person, right? Like I wonder, is it something that happens in other? Like I was trying to think. I was like, okay, like you know, obviously things get adapted to other countries, and you know, like you know. Hollywood movies get adapted in Asian countries and they get rewritten for, for the culture and obviously usually don't star white people. They're usually starring people from that country. So, yeah. you know, that I don't mind. It's just, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think, like, do other countries, like, has an Asian country ever remade a Hollywood film? But, like, as opposed to, like, rewriting it a little bit to make sense in their culture, they actually just pretended that Asians were white. Like, is there white face? In other countries, I don't know, or is it specifically a white person thing where they go around just pretending to be other cultures instead of just hiring people of that culture? I don't know. But, like, what would be, like, a... Just give me an example of, like, a white movie that's, like, this is a white movie. Like, a rom-com? Or, like, like a When Harry Met Sally sort of thing? Like, what is, like, the whitest movie you can think of? I don't... Like, say if... Okay, let's let's take let's take it in reverse. Obviously, we had reviewed the um, the uh, um, what's that? Uh, oh, so with with, with we reviewed um, Infernal Affairs, and obviously yeah. it got remade. Yeah. Um, as what was it? What was it named in Hollywood? The Departed. Yeah, as The Departed, but you know, pretend The Departed was the original. They remade it into Infernal Affairs. Like, could I yeah. see them pretending to be? white because they wanted to keep the storyline of this is like you know an irish mobster instead of remaking it into like you know the 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 triad or whatever like for me if you remake it and obviously they changed it from being the triad to making it into an irish mobster but it's like i was like if it's the reverse i i i don't see like would you just pretend you were white and like put on white face and then cast like a Chinese person and be like this Chinese person is Irish. I was like, it just seems so ridiculous that white people do this. It, it makes no sense to me. Yeah, just you know what? It. I mean, because there's a lot more like there's there's definitely like uh, like white movies that are being remade with like black casts, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a thing that's it's happening for sure. Yeah, I can't like, think of any white movies remade with like. Asian casts. 
Yeah, like there's, you know, the, um, what was it, Four Weddings and a Funeral. There's The Wonder Years is coming back. But, like, it's being retold from, like, you know, like the black people aren't aren't putting on white face pretending to be white. I feel like this whole pretending to be other cultures is specifically a white thing. Unless somebody who's listening can uh, can correct me. I, I have not seen um, Asians pretending to be white or other people pretending to be um, other cultures. It just seems like a, a very weird thing to do because um, you can just rewrite it. Um, I don't know. I just yeah. don't know. Um, well, I think I think that's that's what we should do. <laughs> we should remake uh, a white film with an Asian cast. I don't know what movie. I don't know what. what do you think? What would be the best? Uh, Citizen oh. Kane. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, actually, you know what? There was. I can't think of whiteface from the movie White Chicks, but they weren't oh, playing yes. white people. They were playing black people dressed up as white people. So yeah. that's a little bit different. But um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe um, Citizen Kane. I don't know what what else what what wins Oscars. Um, I don't know. We could do the Blind Side. Have an Asian adopt an African American. <laughs> oh. uh, to Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, so many choices. So many choices. Um, uh, oh, twelve. Oh, how about twelve Changri men? <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. Um, okay, so. Uh, I don't know. It's so weird. This conversation's gone a lot of places. I, I'm not really sure how, how to wrap it up, but um, they, <laughs> so he, here's some other examples of you know where people have gotten mad or, around quote unquote appropriation. Where I don't know, is it appropriation? Is it something that people should get canceled for, or is it just whatever? But you know, hairstyles comes up. You know, yeah, like um, I got, I, how about this? I, I, how about this? How about this? Like Asians uh, were, were donning the Rachel. Oh, there you like go. And, it's, and, there's, and like Asian names, when they come over here, they're all named after like friends. Like I know so many Rachels and Monicas because they all like <laughs> came over during that time. And before that, it was like all the older people, it's like all oh, the Dorothys and the Wendy's, you know, because oh. <laughs> like that was, that was the names, those are the names then. So I guess oh. there's that. That's, that's about as close as I can, I can get though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like uh, hair is definitely one of the things. I know yeah. Justin Bieber recently with his um what, what I don't know. He was he Oh, was I don't I don't some, pay attention to Justin Bieber. <laughs> he was uh, you know, obviously uh when when white people um do afros, but I think it was he was doing like um I don't know. He 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 was he was getting people were getting mad at him for appropriation of hair. Um sometimes people get mad with um people doing braids, although I feel like braids are a little bit come on people like a, a lot of hair can be braided um but you know definitely there's sensitivities around there um i don't know uh like another example miley cyrus people getting mad at her twerking i was like can twerking be considered a cultural thing um, it originated with black people. I, I, I didn't so. even know Miley Cyrus had the the correct anatomy to to twerk. <laughs> she, you know what? Speaking of TikTok, it was sort of like a real life TikTok. She, in in a lot of people's minds, Miley Cyrus is the one that popularized twerking. Oh, really? Yeah, well, that's with, sad. Um, <laughs> I will say personally, I didn't hear twerking uh, i know what twerking is because we did it growing up it just didn't have a name um the first time i heard the word twerking was 
from the Miley Cyrus video. Um, we the when she relaunched her career with uh, we we um, we 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 can't stop. Um, there's also um, you know like can only Japanese people wear kimonos? I don't know. It it, it just I don't know. I feel like there's a line, and it's I don't know. I feel like there is a lot of sensitivities um, right now. But I, I do feel like we need to get to a point where, you know, like, I don't want to erase the line because sometimes it gets ridiculous. Like, for me, somebody who deserves to get canceled um, and who still has not been canceled is um, a Marvel Comics' editor-in-chief who um, who announced uh, a... Um, a diversity initiative, and then uh, say, said they had like this new um, uh, this new Japanese artist and writer named Akira Yoshida, um, and then it ended up being him, this fat white guy. It was just it was it was him all along, and somehow <laughs> he is still the Marvel Comics editor in chief. So yes, I do think there's lines you can cross when you literally like congratulate yourself for diversity when the diversity was you using a fake name okay you're asked to be canceled but somehow he's not canceled people look this up akira yoshida y'all need to look this up get this bitch canceled it's retroactive but please let's get this hoe canceled so i'm not against canceling people but i am also like you know what if a white person wears a kimono sure it looks weird but like i remember there was this um there was this uh, there was this white girl who um, who wore uh, I think it was like a Street Fighter Chun Li costume, okay. and then it was I think it was um, for I don't think it's for Halloween. It might have been for her prom, um, which okay. is a strange time to wear a Chun Li outfit. Um, and then she got like you know she was doing like kung fu poses, but I was like, well yeah, it's like Chun Li. She's doing like the Chun Li. Like, yeah. you know, like yeah, do the, the, the other the double like, palm do the jump, thing. like, you know, yeah. And then like she went viral and people were like really attacking her. And I mm. was like, okay, it's probably a little insensitive, but like also she's I mean, a teenager. So like calm down. But also um, like, let, let's think about the, like, would they be upset if she, I mean, and of course it would be ridiculous if she did. Uh, but if she went to prom dressed as a Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's literally, it's the same thing. Right. Yeah. So like, would they be upset if she went as like Pikachu? Yeah, you know, it's... I don't think I don't, they would, right? No, I, I think it's... I, I mean, because mostly you would look ridiculous as a Pikachu <laughs> prom. But like, you know, but still, I don't think it would be, this, you know. Yeah, it's a weird line. I don't know. I don't... I just don't want to lose the artistic merit of, like, interpreting something and building on it and being inspired Um but don't go so far that you're erasing the original culture and taking all the credit and pulling in all the money. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how you draw that line. Um, all I know is like, I have a, and I know this doesn't help, especially with white people. They're, they're always worried of like, you know, how do you know that you're racist? Well, the answer is like, you're always racist, but it's like, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just, I don't know. For me, it's just like, I don't know what the line is, but I know it 
when like with the you know um, when you see it it's like art you know when you see it or it's like porn you know when you see it <laughs> yeah like with david carradine like yeah. when i read this story i was like okay yeah that's too far with the marvel guy yeah that's too far other times i'm like uh miley twerking maybe because she did <laughs> she did monetize it and yeah. she made a lot of money off of twerking and yeah. the original people who made money off of twerking didn't make money off of it. So maybe, um, you know, some random white person buys a kimono because they'd rather wear a kimono after going to the spa than a regular white person, um, whatever thing. Um, spa outfit, I, I think there's a word for it. Um, a spa outfit? I mean, a robe? Yeah, a robe. You know, instead of like a a robe, okay, maybe you know what? She's not commercializing it. She just she just likes she she likes the robe. Like I don't know. I I'm I'm less upset at that. Um, you know, the hairstyles thing that that's a bit difficult because obviously hair is a sensitive thing for cultures, and I think the idea is it's like if you're doing dreadlocks. I mean, if you're white and you're doing dreadlocks, just don't. <laughs> There's, <laughs> you don't deserve hair. I, you know, it's. I think, I feel like some of these things I think look dumb, but well, that's also part of it. You look like an idiot. No, <laughs> no white person looks good in dreadlocks. Like, just don't do it. You don't look good, and now, like, it's you're taking a risk where there is no reward. <laughs> Yeah, I think the other thing too is you know so 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 here's one where we've talked about it in the past, but a really big one right now, and this is I feel like it gets trickier when it's between two minority groups. I think when it's white people stealing something, it, it's pretty clear cut. I think yeah. when it's two minority groups, and you know this happened a lot with black people and Asians, yeah, yeah, is yeah. you know with K-pop, it's yeah. it's been a really big thing. I'll, you know, a lot of the producers are black, mm-hmm. or many of the producers are black. But at least in that case, they're the producers, so they actually yeah. are making money off of it. Um, yeah. But some people still have a problem that it's like, you know, black people behind the scenes, but the people fronting it are 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 Asians. I, I would say I don't know. I it's I don't know if if you're I don't know that that's a tricky one because like you said, the producers are getting paid. Um, and I also see it, one thing I see in reverse with like hip hop where they say like, you know, a lot of Asians are, um, are, um, are, uh, you know, appropriating hip hop. I'm kind of like, well, hip hop appropriates a lot of Asians. Like did Nicki Minaj not have like a song called Chun-Li very recently? Mm-hmm. Um, also, I'm The Wu-Tang sorry. Clan. Yeah, Wu-Tang Clan. The very existence of the Wu-Tang yeah. Clan. And also, you know what? Like Lil Kim and and Nicki Minaj and all these people doing these like neon hair. Like I'm sorry, that's Harajuku like a million years ago. Like, you, like, like you can't tell me that that was not inspired by mm-hmm. you know Japanese fashion culture. So I feel like it's trickier when it's two minority groups, and that's where I feel like you know what I don't want people to be so sensitive that they're being called out from being inspired by other cultures, especially if it's two minority groups. Um, but then again, if it's two minority groups and there's an Asian wearing like a, an indigenous head garment, like you said, without understanding it, that would kind of be too far as well. So it's like, I don't I don't know what I'm saying, Leonard. I'm just confused. I don't want to lose some things, but there is, there is going too far. I don't know. 
Yeah. Um, and I think you just know it when you see it. And like I said, it goes back to like how we started this whole conversation, which is like it just comes down to the the intent and the respect that the artist, uh, like the reverence that the artist shows to the source material that they're taking it from. If they if they have taken the time to understand why a thing is done and they honor that, you know, and 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 obviously if they've taken the time to see if the thing. Uh, like if the very act of using it in a culture that's not of that culture is disrespecting it, then obviously if you have taken the time to, you know, to investigate whether that's a problem, then they wouldn't do it, right? But the, I mean, there are certain things that you could. I, I mean, I, I think there are certain things that you could use as inspiration, and I don't think it's it's wrong as long as you understand uh, where the thing came from and and. Uh, you know, like for example, like for me, like and you know, I was writing a, a, a script, and it had a lot of like different cultures uh, in it that are not my own, right? Uh, so the amount of research I had to do to figure out everything, and like I would, and then I would ask questions of the people who I know are of that culture, and if this thing ever got made, I know in my heart, like if you know, like say we had we had a character who was written as Brazilian. But, like, if they hired, like, a Mexican, I'd have to rewrite the character to be Mexican because, like, it has to be accurate, I think. Because part of it is this, is, like, A, art, uh, especially, like, writing television film, it's, like, a very collaborative effort, right? And no one person can know everything. And so, like, I cannot possibly know what it's like to be, like, a Brazilian woman, like, who in Brazil. So I would have to hire a Brazilian woman who in Brazil to write those stories um, because, you know, they're not my stories to tell, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, that's, I think that's basically what it is. I think you have to, if you're, you know, if, if, if you're concerned at all that you're, like, you're appropriating culture and you're doing something that you're like, man, can I tell this story? Then uh, there's probably a reason that you're concerned and you should make every effort to ensure that those stories are told respectfully and accurately. Yeah, I think the difficulty with the non-minorities of basically white people is, I think for us, the answer can be like, you know, like you can just feel whether it's too far or not most of the time. I feel like white people, they're just, at this point, they're so confused with what's going on that they're just like, I'm not even going to approach it. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, for example, with Kill Bill, um, you know, with the anime sequence, I did look in that it was an actual Japanese animation firm that ended up doing it and getting the money. If he had hired somebody in Hollywood to mimic anime and paid white people to do it instead of Japanese, I would have been upset. Um, But then I think about it, I was like, well, he is kind of mimicking Japanese or not just Japanese, but like, you know, Asian martial arts and stuff. And none Mm -hmm. of the creatives you know, writer, director, producer, um, or character creator were Asian at all. So, you know, it's, I don't know, it's sort of like, um, you know, and it it feels like I'm the only one who's mad at this um, show, but Avatar The Last Airbender, um, where, you know, I grew up with a lot of like anime and manga influence and they were clearly influenced by it. um, And they sort of made their American version. but it's like two super, like whiter than white white dudes, um, and you know the main character, obviously named Ang, is like they're writing Asian culture without an Asian in the room, um, and that does kind of annoy me. So, yeah. 
Yeah, which uh, is why I was saying, like, if you're going to write something, uh, you know, that's about a specific culture that you don't have personal experience with, you really ought to have somebody who has that experience in the room to at least check you, like, if you're doing anything that's wrong uh, or inaccurate, right? I think that's the, and that's especially this. If you are taking stories from another culture, you'd better damn well employ people of that culture because <laughs> now yeah. you're just otherwise like they're you're, you're it's theft, right? It's basically oh. theft. So yeah, so there you gotta you go. yeah. There we are. <laughs> well, I feel like we should wrap this up because obviously it could go on for a while. This this <laughs> discussion I'm very passionate about. Um, so this is a longer episode than usual, but I just couldn't with my feeling about Quentin Tarantino being as they are right now and this whole topic. Um, but uh, you know, I want to thank uh, Leonard for being on this show. Um, you know, obviously. Um, great to have your thoughts as usual thank you to the listeners for um for helping our show to grow and grow each week and we will be back next week with another episode i'm your host fong show official spokesperson for gay super cute asians and that's what's up this podcast has been brought to you by the sonar network sonar